we want to thank you for worshiping with us today. And uh, I know that we heard like last week that many of you are worshiping in your homes. And if you have those kind of annoying neighbors who like to have karaoke parties in their carport, what you can do is you can, you can get a microphone, a little karaoke machine, and you can broadcast your worship to your neighborhood. But actually, seriously, it's really good that we're having God's name proclaimed in worship wherever you are. And, and we hope that you are doing it with, with a heart that's just full of love. It's kind of different for us here because, you know, we record it here and all of that, but then it's, we don't necessarily hear it at the, at the same way that you are. But it's so encouraging to know that, that you are indeed worshiping. And I just want to thank our worship team that's been doing uh, so much to help us be able to to, to continue to worship together and, and to bring these services to you um, with Cheryl and Eric and you saw Reed um, leading worship today. And then just the behind the scenes team that's been here for the past couple of weeks. We have uh, Roy and Cam and Jeremy and Phil and this week Emily and last week Shay and of course Stacy's been doing a lot. So we just thank all of you for, for helping out and really just making this all work um, it's kind of different every week. This week, uh, I'm actually talking to the camera. So um, it's kind of interesting for, for me because the camera is not giving me any, uh, any feedback, any expressions. But um, we also want to let you know something different that we're going to do at the end of the service. So after the announcements and the final prayer, we're going to hang around here for about five or ten minutes. And if you have any questions, if you have any um, um, things that, that, that uh, you just occurred to you during the sermon, you can write them. If you're on YouTube, there's a little chat box on the side, and you can write them over there, and um, you, can, you can just write down a question that maybe we'll be able to answer. If there's not that many questions, we should be able to get to it. But if there are a lot of questions, uh, for sure, I'll try to respond um, to your question sometime during the week, um, either through the chat or some, some other way if I know your email. So um, we want to get into our, our message today. And so we, uh, we, we started last week with the Easter series. And we said, you know, the Easter series was you know, how, he, how he loves us. And we're looking at the different ways that God shows his love toward us. And, and so last week, you know, he loves us so much that he became like us. Um, and so that's a big deal where we talk about how God went from, um, this, you know, the Son of God went from being the Son of God and then he comes to us and, and, he, and he becomes like us. As, as we read last week, he took on flesh. And so he became human. But we're going to look today at how he loves us in that he became not like us. He became something very different from us. He's not really becoming it. He's just showing it to us. And that's that he humbles himself. That we often think of humility because we don't think of humility in the, in the way that the Bible talks about humility. We often think of humility as a negative thing. But what we're going to see today is, no, humility is a very divine characteristic. It's a very divine thing. It's not a human thing. In fact, it's the opposite of what we as human beings uh, would do 
rather than to show humility. So last week, he became like us. This week, he shows us how he's not like us. You know, I, I wanted to start with this question about, you know, this question of, you know, what, um, you know, what do you, I mean, when you were younger, when you were a kid, you know, what did you think, um, I mean, what did you want to be when you grew up? So, you know, you might have had been asked this question. You probably were in elementary school or maybe even your parents, you're sitting around talking in the house. You know, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then, and then um, you know, you might have asked this question yourself of, of children. And so there's different things, you know, you might, you might, uh, you know, you might have said at different times. For me, one of my earliest career goals was to be, was to be a cowboy. I wanted not a Dallas cowboy. I later on wanted to be a Dallas cowboy. But initially, it was just to be a cowboy cowboy. And so when, you know, I was born in West Virginia, and not a lot of cowboys in West Virginia, and I'm not sure how I got my cowboy dreams, but I wanted to be a cowboy. And, you know, for Christmas, I would, you know, want to have the hat and the guns and all of that. And then we, I heard we're moving to Oklahoma. And when I knew we were moving to Oklahoma, one thing I knew is, you know, there's cowboys in Oklahoma. There's cowboys down there. So that's great. We were moving, you know, even as like a two or three-year-old, I kind of understood, you know, how great that would be. And then as I got a little bit older, you know, you see the, the picture there of, of, of James West from the Wild Wild West. And that was the TV show. It was like one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. You know, um, I would, you know, we lived in a small town. Our house was maybe about, you know, quarter mile from the, from the school. And this was back in the day when, you know, you could let your kids just come home. And so I would, as soon as school was done, I would just, you know, sprint home, you know, grab something, a snack to eat, and then plop down in front of the TV and watch the Wild Wild West. And, and that, was, that was my goal. So I don't know what your goal is. Everybody had different career goals when you were young. You know, maybe typical police, fire, uh, you know, you want to be a doctor, a nurse, or things like that. But it's interesting that very few of us would ever say the thing that Jesus actually became when he came here. And that is a servant. I mean, how many people would say, I want, I want to be a servant? You know, in fact, if your five-year-old, if you ask the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, and your five-year-old said, I want to be a servant, you might, you know, wonder, like, what's going on here? You might try to even talk them out of it, you know, if they think their highest goal is to be a servant. In fact, the word servant that's used in the Bible, it could also be used to mean slave. And, we, you know, we don't think like, oh, that's, that's something you should want to be when you grow up. You shouldn't want to be a servant. And the question is, you know, why? Why is that the case? Why should we not want to be a servant? Why should we not aspire to those things? And, and part of that's because of the way we, we think of things like being a servant and what we think of things like, um, like humility. And because of the way, our, the way we think of these things, we think of them as as negative things, as bad things, and not necessarily as, as good things. But let me just tell you, you know, up front, before we get into the actual message, let me just tell you that one of the most important ingredients in a church, 
If you want to be a healthy church, one of the most important ingredients is that every member in the church has a servant's heart. Okay? Understand that. It's one of the most important ingredients in a healthy church. You want to make a weaker church? Then have fewer people in the church that have a servant's heart. Have more and more people who look to be served rather than to serve. Have more and more people that feel like they should be in charge or they should be the ones that, that, um, that everybody listens to. That their needs need to be met or their ideas are always the best. And you will weaken your church. But you want your church to be stronger? Then you need to try to cultivate, develop, foster a servant heart in as many people as possible. You know, we've talked about this, uh, what a healthy church is. A healthy church is a community of disciples united by the Spirit and being transformed by the Word and the Spirit in our lives. And we're living out our, our faith. We're living out more and more of what it means to be like Jesus. And so what that means is part of being a disciple is that I'm learning more and more about what it means to have a servant heart. And I'm learning more and more what it means to serve others, to, to, to help others, to meet others' needs, to be less centered on myself. And so this whole idea of healthy church, this whole idea of, of Christ being this humble servant, it all, it's all connected. It all goes together. And so we, this becomes difficult because in our world, you know, many people in the world have this kind of love-hate relationship with being a servant. You know, words like servant or humility, there's kind of a love-hate relationship with it. Because part of the reason is because we think of someone who's a servant as someone who's somehow been defeated, like someone's in control of them, they're, you know, they, they have to serve because they have no other choice. If they had a choice, they wouldn't serve. They would, they would be the master or they would be the boss, they would be in charge. And so we view servanthood as, as inferior. We, we view humility as being inferior. We, we think of the person who's doing that as being, as being weaker. And that's just the way that our, our world thinks. Oh, there are times when we admire the servant. You know, nowadays, because of the coronavirus, people are, are more and more admiring certain people who sometimes go kind of unnoticed. Um, you know, we, we kind of notice our doctors and nurses, but we're noticing them more now, especially because they're putting themselves right in the midst of the, you know, where they, you know, they could be, you know, the contagious things are happening, right? They're right there helping, helping these people. But then there's other servants that are continuing to keep our society going. You know, you still got people like the bus drivers and others that are out there doing their jobs. And so we, there's a certain place where we admire them. And even as Christians, you know, we kind of admire the, the servant, the servant heart. You know, and we, we always look to, and we, we know this, like, oh yeah, Jesus was a servant. And so on one hand, we kind of admire it. But on the other hand, we still have this really negative feeling about, about servants because we think that somehow a servant is inferior or a servant is weaker. And so while we, while we can 
we can kind of admire it and love it. There's another part of it that resents it, and we don't necessarily want to be it. Let me just tell you that what Christ shows us, what Christ shows us more so than, than anyone else could ever show us, he shows us true humility, true servanthood. Why is that? Well, because first of all, as we learned last week, he is the most powerful being. Not the most powerful being in the universe. He is the most powerful being. In fact, there's not a close second. There, there's nobody even that's, that's even gaining on him. He is the most powerful being. But even though he is the most powerful being, he still serves and he still shows humility. See, one of the things that we need to learn is that you really can't show humility if you're not already strong. It is from strength that we show humility. If, for whatever reason, I found myself in a gymnasium with LeBron James, it wouldn't be humble for me to tell LeBron James, hey, you're a better basketball player than me. You know, it wouldn't, it, it would just be truth, you know. I can't really show humility in that sense to him because he's so much better at basketball than I am. But if I'm playing basketball with some kids and hopefully my skills are better than the kids, as I'm teaching them, you know, I can show humility to them. You know, when the little six-year-old is putting up a shot, I'm not just going to just whack it as far as I can and watch it, you know, bounce across the court and point my fingers at him and say, you know, that's what you get trying to bring it into my house, right? No, I can show humility because I'm coming from a position of strength. Jesus shows us the utmost of humility, the utmost servanthood, because he, he is the most powerful. He's the most powerful. And so anything he does for us shows us true humility, true servanthood. And you, you, again, you come back to the question, then why would he do this? Why would he do this? He doesn't need us. He doesn't need creation. God, Father, Son, Spirit, they're, they're perfect within themselves. They don't need and yet they do. They do this, and it comes down to the same, the same thing that we, it's the title of the series. It's because, because he loves us. And again, I can't explain why he loves us. I don't know why he loves us. I mean, we are so incredibly unlovable, and yet he loves us. But I think a second reason that he's doing this is he's, he's not just loving us. A lot of people like that part. Oh, good, good, good. You know, God loves me. Jesus loves me. That makes me feel good. And it should. But there's another thing, another thing that Jesus is doing. He is showing us how God intended us to live. He's showing us this is the best way to live. In fact, it's really the only way to live if, if you want to be fully what it means to be human. If you want to fulfill God's, God's purpose for not just yourself,
but for all of humanity, this is the way to live. And he's showing us that. And there, kind of central to that, this key ingredient, humility, servanthood, humble servant, servant heart. And so we have problems with this. We struggle with this. It's not how we are. We live, we live without Jesus. We live in this kind of this power kind of basis for our relationships. It's what I sometimes call a power construct. You know, it's, it's all about, you know, making sure I survive, making sure I get mine. And, you know, we saw this and we still see it, you know, throughout the last few weeks, how, how many people's first response when they hear about the coronavirus was, was like, oh, I hope I don't get it. Or I hope my family and friends don't get it. And I hope I have enough stuff, so I'm going to go to the stores and I'm going I'm to get as much stuff as I can. And we, we saw that, that people live according to this kind of power construct, and it's based on, on just basically wanting to survive. And it just, that was our, by and large, our society's immediate response. Our immediate response wasn't about what's best for the nation or what's best for the world. It's what do I need? And when we live that way, it's really hard to be servants. It's really hard to be, to be humble. But that's our first response. And if we extend it, we, we extend it a little bit beyond ourselves to people who are like us. And so we go from ourselves to our kind. And for some of you, you're like, I'm the only one like me, and that's all you care about. But some of you, you extend it. You extend it to your families. Or maybe you have a, a close circle of friends. But we, we tend to, to just stay in that, and it's all about our survival, our keeping going. And, and if you're in that mindset, being a servant, that's, it is not a great thing. It, you know, being humble, I mean, if you went to, you know, Walmart when people are all trying to get toilet paper and you're like, I'm going to be humble. You know, Jesus said, the first shall be last. So I'm going to go to the end of the line. I'm going to wait. You know, people are going to be like, you're crazy. There's only a limited supply. You know, we're going to lose that. So when we live under the power construct, servanthood, humility, it doesn't really, it doesn't really connect. It doesn't make sense. What Jesus presents to us, what God presents to us is something different. And it's why we need faith in Jesus Christ, because we can't get there without Jesus. And that is, he gives us the same way, the same basis from which he operates. And it's based on his love, his eternal love, his supernatural love. The love that, you know, we've talked about here that is so impossible we cannot even come close to doing it on our own. We need Him. We need His help. We need His Spirit. We need each other. We need His Word. And so we come to this verse that we're going to look at today in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And Paul is, is writing, and he's writing as a prisoner. And he's, he's writing from what was, is probably he's under house arrest. And he's, he's probably in a 
small like apartment, one room, uh, probably spends the whole day kind of chained to a Roman soldier. And this is what he's doing. He's, he's waiting to see the emperor. And he's appealed his case, and he wants to see the emperor, and he has to wait. And so he's under house arrest until the emperor gets around to seeing him. And he can't leave. And for Paul, if you know Paul, that's something that drives him crazy because Paul wants to leave. Paul wants to leave not because he wants to be free. That would be us. We'd be like, I just want to get out of this, this prison, even if it is an apartment. He wants to be free because he knows that it's so important that the gospel keeps spreading across the known world. He wants to go to Spain. Every time he hears about a, 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 new, a new area that, where Christianity hasn't reached, he wants to go there. And he can't. He's stuck in this room. But I think it's really important for us to realize Paul in this room is perhaps the most powerful prisoner of all time. That there is, there is no prisoner more powerful than Paul in this room 2,000 years ago in Rome. How powerful is he? He's so powerful that he writes letters that hundreds of millions of people are still reading today. He didn't say like, oh man, I'm, I'm stuck in this room, I can't do anything. And I think that's sometimes like the first phase of dealing with this coronavirus and this isolation and social distancing. You know, a lot of, of Christians thought like, well, you know, we can't do anything. But I think more and more of them are finding that they can be like Paul, or they're not going to be as powerful as Paul. I have, I have, I have you know, no thoughts, no you know, delusions that 2,000 years from now people are going to be listening to this. I don't really necessarily think that's true. But I do know this. I do know that wherever you are and wherever I am, that if we will let God's Spirit and let His Word direct us, that we will be able to do things far beyond the physical limitations of what we have. It's only when we decide to become a prisoner that we really limit ourselves. Paul is so amazing. He's like, people are visiting him and he's, he's helping them, he's counseling them. His, his close confidants and partners are coming and he's giving them instructions and they're going out and carrying things out. He's writing letters to people. He's even got enemies that come and sit there and he talks with them. You know, we read about in this book, that, this letter that we're going to read, where he talks about the ent entire Praetorian Guard. These are like the special soldiers that are supposed to protect the emperor. He says they all heard the gospel. Paul doesn't brag about it. He doesn't say, you know why? Yeah, because I told him. But we all know why. We know that every time that soldier is sitting there and, and the, the soldiers are changing every day, but every time they're there, they're, they're chained to Paul. They're chained to Paul. And they get 24-hour access to Paul. They hear what he says. They see his heart. And it's changing them. And they're telling others. Think about that. Think about if you're in a place right now where everybody else in your household that you're kind of stuck with 
they're not believers in Christ. What are they seeing? They get 24-hour access to see the difference Christ is making in your lives. I just love the example of Paul because it kind of humbles me to know that You know, me, I have so much more access now. We have technology. We can do so many things that Paul couldn't do. And yet Paul has influenced hundreds of millions, if not billions of people over 2,000 years. And long after we're all gone, people are still going to be reading Paul's letters. It's amazing. Well, we're going to look at this passage where Paul's encouraging this church And here's Paul, the prisoner, encouraging the church to have joy. And so he says this. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're not going to read the whole passage. You know, the whole passage is, is just kind of finishes up with this exaltation of Christ. We're just going to look at this, this one part. And it's believed in the early church that this was actually a hymn that was sung. These words, not just the ideas... But these very words were so important that the church memorized them and sang them. So we, we want to eventually read the whole thing because it doesn't just talk about Christ becoming humble. It also talks about Christ being exalted. But our focus today on, is, is on that humility part. And, and it's talking about how Christ... It's talking more about the word became flesh, but now Paul is talking about it in terms of of Jesus. And he's saying, you know, how Jesus became like us. He he took on the form of a servant. And a lot of people ask this question, and I really don't have time to kind of unpack it here, but people ask this question like, you know, how could that be? And the church, you know, talked about this, discussed it, had different understanding. To, to try to understand exactly how this was. And, and, and if you want to know more about this, I invite you, you know, on Wednesday nights, we're doing a Bible study that's based on these messages. And we're going to unpack it more on, on that night. But here's my way of saying it without using technical language. Jesus became whatever it means to be human without losing whatever it means to be God. So Jesus became whatever it means to be human without losing whatever it means to be God. And so, you know, it's one of the ways I try to explain it without going into like deep kind of theological, you know, terms and definitions and everything like that. And, and it does kind of give us an idea that there's certain things we just, we, we don't know. There are things we know about what it means to be God. And there are things we know about what it means to be human but we don't know all of that. We, we, it's something that you know, we, we still are you know, thinking about or sometimes it just hasn't necessarily been revealed to us. But we, we do know 
that one of the things about what it means to be God is that God can never stop being God. It's who he is. God is eternal. And so we know that Jesus, as the Son of God, is not going to stop being God. But it also means that God, it doesn't mean that God can't change things. Not about himself, but he can't change things. One of the examples I use sometimes to help people, it's not a great example, so, you know, if you're a theologian out there, you know, um, just, you know, let people understand what I'm trying to say here, the main point, which is if God showed up wearing a cowboy hat today, and tomorrow he decided, I don't want to wear a cowboy hat, I'm going to wear a baseball cap, he would not stop being God because he changed hats. Okay? The problem we have is when we look at the Bible, we look at Scripture, it's trying to figure out what we see about who God is and how God is revealed. What are things that are essential to who God is? And what are the things that are just, he's changing hats for different, for different reasons. And so again, if you want to know more about that, check in with us on Wednesday nights. And if you want to know how, just... Uh, just in the chat box, just write in there that you want to connect and maybe give us an email so we can invite you. But here's two things that we find from knowing Jesus became whatever it means to be human without losing whatever it means to be God. And the first thing is, is that sin is not human. Sin is not human. Sin is not what was originally intended for human beings to be. Otherwise, how could Jesus, the perfect Son of God, be, you know, become human? The Bible tells us he became sin, but we understand that that doesn't mean that he became a sinful person. We understand that to mean that God looked at him because he took on our sin, but not that he was out there sinning. It is not, it's not human to sin. It's, not, it's something that has come as a result of our rejection, our rebellion against God. The second thing we see here is that obedience, humility, servanthood, they're not human, just human either. They are divine. That it is in humility is, is part of who God is. It's a characteristic of who God is. Servanthood. Jesus didn't become human so that he could become a servant. He already had a servant heart as God. And if we understand that, then we begin to understand why this way we think about humility, we think about obedience, we think about servanthood is all wrong. Because we think about it as, no, that's what the less powerful do and the most powerful make them. And here's God, the most powerful, showing us these things. The second thing we see in, this, in these verses is where he says, Paul writes that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And there's been a lot of discussion about what that means, but when we really look at the language, the Greek, and we really understand that, what this, what this means 
at least the best that I can understand it, is that Jesus did nothing. He did nothing for his own advantage. Even though he was equal to God, he did not use it for his own advantage. But he gave everything he could for our salvation. Think about that. He didn't use anything. Even though he was equal to God, he didn't use any of it for his own advantage. But he gave all that he could. The word that the Bible uses is emptied himself. He gave all that he could for our salvation, even to the point of death on a cross. It's amazing. This idea of grasping has that idea of taking advantage of a windfall. It's some kind of like, you know, idiomatic phrase. And again, you want to know more about these things, check in on Wednesday. And what people think Paul's doing is Paul is contrasting Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's contrasting him with all the rulers they knew whether it was Nero or whether it was a king or a queen or anyone else, the rulers they knew, here's what they knew about the rulers. Yes, rulers are powerful. Yes, rulers are in charge of societies or empires or kingdoms, but they also use things for their own advantage. They're living better than the rest of us. In fact, significantly better. They obviously are gaining personally from their position. And that's what happens when everything is based on power. He's saying, look, Jesus, everything is based on love. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He does not use anything for his own advantage. He pours it out. Pours it out. Empties himself for our salvation. You see, he's, Paul is trying to help those, those Christians in Philippi. He's trying to help them see, like, when we use terms like Jesus is King or Jesus is Lord, don't just think that it's the same way that we think that the Emperor is Lord. It's different. And it's partly and largely because Jesus has this servant heart. Don't miss this either. After the word emptied, go back and look at the, after the word emptied. It says, emptied himself. Emptied himself. No one took it from him. No one demanded it. He emptied himself. It was voluntary. He wasn't forced. He wasn't compelled. He emptied himself. That's kind of at the heart of humility. It's not really humility if you defeat me and then I'm humble. That's not real humility because what am I waiting for? I'm waiting for the time when I get powerful enough or you get weak enough that I could take you out. He empties himself. 
If you read the Gospel of John again and again and again, John says that Jesus voluntarily laid down his life. When we look at the Gospels, you know, and, and, and when they give the accounts of, of Jesus' death, you know, they say that at any point in time, at any point, all the way up to his last breath, he could have called for a legion of angels. It was never beyond his control. He had never passed the point of no return. He could have always stopped it, and he didn't. He gave himself voluntarily. It's, it's amazing. You see, some of us are, are kind of like, yeah, I'll be a servant to a certain extent. I'll be humble to a certain extent. But to get any farther, pretty much someone's going to have to force me to do it. That's not real servanthood. That's not real humility. He emptied himself. And finally, as you probably should know, this is what Christ did for us. It's what he does for our salvation. It's one of the reasons we, we, we celebrate the, you know, Easter is because, first of all, this, this great sacrifice that he makes for us, and then the incredible resurrection. But we should also know this. What Paul says at the very beginning, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Yes, it's great to look at the humble servant, the servant leader, the voluntarily giving, emptying himself. It's great to look at that guy. It's great to admire him. It's great to think like, oh, that's awesome. But now Paul's saying, you need to have that same mind. That same mind. Remember, you can't generate it on your own. You can't. You need Jesus Christ to help you. It's why everything begins with faith in Jesus Christ. That's why everything begins with accepting what he did for us on the cross, where he pays the penalty for our sins. And he gives us the promise of his spirit. That's why we need that. It's important. But make no doubt, if you're truly a Christian, if you're truly a Christian, you shouldn't be like little boy Matt who wants to grow up to be a cowboy. You should be someone like hopefully grown-up Matt is, someone who wants to be a servant, a humble servant, someone with a servant heart. And I know that I'm not there. I know that, that there's so much more I need to do, I need to grow in. But I do know this, it's my desire. It's not just one of a list of things. It's the thing. It's what I hope to be. It's what I hope to continue to move towards. And for all of us, this is, this is what it means to become more like Christ. True faith, true discipleship, results in a servant heart. You see, it's less about your job. The world looks, about, looks at us about what our jobs are. And then we rank people according to their jobs. What God looks at is, what is your heart? What is your heart? 
no matter if you're the boss, an employee, whether you think you're the most important or the least important in your, in your company or whatever you do, do you have a servant heart? You might not have a job. Do you have a servant heart? And we talked a little bit about this last week, about how some, how some people have kind of gotten past the thing about just thinking of themselves and theirs. But if you have a servant heart, now you're thinking about how now do I serve other people, even if I'm stuck in my house and I can't really go out. And I just want to brag on some of you. I'm not going to say by name, but I'm just going to say there have been needs brought up to us and people in our church have immediately met those needs. It's great because it tells me there's a servant heart there. They're not doing it for recognition. They're not doing it so that you know, we can list their names. They're not doing it because they're earning good points so that God accepts them in heaven. It's because they have a servant heart. And someone has a need. And they can meet it. And they do. It doesn't matter what our job is. It doesn't matter how powerful we think we are. Do we have that servant heart? And I guess that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Most of us are in a very unfamiliar situation. And these unfamiliar situations, what they help us know is, is they actually help us help reveal things that are true about ourselves. Because so much about ourselves is, is not true. You know, we're, we're fans of a football team. That's not really who we are. You know, we, we, we fill our lives with activities. You know, we run in our kids to soccer and, you know, all these, you know, you know music lessons and, and school and all this other stuff. But that's not who we are. When we have to stop like we are now, and when we have to be kind of restricted from all these things, it's really showing us who we are. Who are we in Christ? And what I'm hoping that's being revealed even now that is Christ's servant heart that's always been there. Maybe it's been neglected, but it's being revealed now because all the noise and all the busyness of the world is being stripped away and it's just you. And my prayer is that that keeps growing stronger, that you begin to think more and more about how you can be this humble servant, this servant heart, wherever you are, whether you're considered essential to our society or not. Understand, if you are one of the children of God, if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, you are essential. We need you. We need you. And what we need is not all your abilities. We don't need your pride. We need your servant heart. And so as we pray, I'm going to pray that God would encourage you if you already know this. But if this is something new to you, I'm going to pray that God would would help you to find the opportunities to allow this to grow, to not let this moment pass.